Good morning. I'm Jeremy Pleasant. I'm the senior pastor here at the Vineyard Church. I want to welcome you. Um, there's a lot happening this morning, <laughs> in case you couldn't tell. That was our YouTube video of the week, which has actually nothing to do with anything. We just like to have a little, a little fun uh, before we get into the sermon. Um, so I want to welcome you. Uh, hey, Angie, uh, my thing isn't working, so you're going to have to just follow along. Um, so as you saw those announcements and how it was possible for one of our MCs to actually wear a costume up on stage is only possible by one person in this whole world. And you met her. <laughs> so so real quick. Um, before, before we dive in, I want to uh, talk about what we have going on uh, for Lent season. So next week, we're starting a new series uh, for, for the entire Lenten season called What's God Really Like? Knowing the Good and Beautiful God. And so you all have these invite cards. And so I want you to think about someone who you know that would be good to hear this. You know, what I've, what I've found and, and what's always a heartbreaking for me to hear is that, you know, when people look at Christianity, they look at God, they see this angry, wrathful, judgmental, unkind God. And that's just not the truth. And a lot of it comes from, from a lot of different things which we're not going to get into today, but Basically, we're just like, who is the God that Jesus knows? If Jesus is the full in-person image of God, that means we're missing something, right? And so what we're going to be doing all this, over these eight weeks is talking about, okay, who is this God that Jesus knows? What is God really like? How do we, how do we go through these things that we're, like, aren't that clear in Scripture, but also bring a lot of clarity for us? But more than that, actually develop some uh, uh, repairing our images of God and developing intimacy with God, which is going to transform us. And so I'm really excited about this series. And so you have these cards because I, I think everyone knows somebody who actually needs to, uh, to experience that a little bit. And so I want you uh, every week, you know, we're going to have something like this and we're going to have an opportunity to, to, to share this and say, hey, you need to come check this out. Um, this is this is going to be an awesome series, and uh, we're going to be diving into some fun stuff, but awesome stuff that really challenges us and helps us uh, form uh, a new image of God. Cool? All right. So I want to officially welcome you to the Vineyard Church of Baton Rouge. I want to welcome you to a place that you belong. I want to welcome you to a community of hope. You can be the furthest from God you can imagine. You can be the faithful follower you can be looking for life. This place is for you. You can be a saint or a sinner, a loser or a winner, lost or left over, adopted, abandoned, whether you're divorced, LGBT, rejected, alone, or just someone who doesn't fit. Welcome. You are welcome here because Jesus, our God who became man, welcomed the least of these and everyone in between. We believe in radical acceptance, radical transformation, and radical reconciliation, practicing the radical love of Jesus for everyone. Welcome to the Vineyard Church. 
So last week we began this series, uh, kind of mini-series, it's just last week and this week, and um, it's, it's a thing we're going to come back to, but it's called Stories of Renewal. And one thing we find in Scripture is like, we kind of notice it in the New Testament, but all throughout the Bible is this one long story with all these mini-stories of redemption, of renewal. And so last week we talked about Joseph and um, kind of his story and his life and, that's, and, and um, what we're doing looks like for him, but also for us. And so that was a lot of fun. And then this week, we're actually going to be looking at uh, Ruth. And so as we get into the Ruth, the first part of today, we're actually just going to go through the story of Ruth. And then we're going to unpack what we're going to unpack it all and look like what, what it looks like for us today, where this renewal and that story is for us today. And as I mentioned last week, it's a common uh, Jewish practice And so when we're looking at the Old Testament, right, we're looking at the Hebrew scriptures. And so it's common in the Hebrew scriptures that we don't just read the stories, that we don't just try to make some kind of direct connection, but that these stories evoke our imagination, that these stories we we place in our lives, we place our lives in these stories, and we seek what God is doing in these stories and in our lives. And so I just want to give you permission to say, okay, I'm going to place myself in this story and I'm going to open up my ears and hear what God has to say to me in the middle of this. Because in that place, as, as we connect with God there, that we can hear what he, what, what he wants from us, what he has for us, and experience the same things that the characters in our stories that we read. So let's start in Ruth. Uh, we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel... A severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah, and when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One one married a, a woman named Orpah, I, really hard not to say Oprah right there, but it's not the same thing. I know. And the other woman, uh, another a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Marlon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. So right away in this story, we have tragedy. And right away we see that what we imagine are the key people in the story are actually gone and, and, and they've died. And so right after this, uh, Naomi hears that back in Israel. So remember, they were from Judah. They moved to Moab because, they're, and because they're just, there's a famine. And so they're in Moab, lose half the family, and then, and then they hear, hey, God is providing for his people back, back in Israel. So they're like, okay, we're going we're gonna to move back to Judah then. And so they make a decision to leave, but we have to remember Orpah and Ruth are from this area. They're from Moab. They're not from Judah. And so there's, there's kind of a tough decision here. They're, they're their only family they got left um, as far as, you know, those who survived. And so Naomi pushes them to go home because it's going to be better for them to, to, to stay in Moab and not to come back to Judah. 
And so let's look at verse 14. As, as Naomi was, was, was pushing them, at this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. She said this because it was like, stay, stay here. Go back to your people. You can, you can get remarried. You can, you'll be around your family. Don't come with me. You don't have to come with me. I release you. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. It's, uh, it's really powerful here. It's just this, they're, they're in anguish as they're thinking about separating from each other. And, and Ruth is like, no, no matter what, I am staying with you. And so they get to town and the town is really excited to see them. And so we find out later in the scripture that, that Naomi wants a, a name change. She's like, don't, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. And so one thing we have to understand that's very different in, in, in our culture, in 21st century American culture, is that names have a very different meaning in Hebrew culture. And so their name like really was your description of who you are. And so Naomi really means to be lovely, to be delightful, to be pleasant. And she's like, I don't want to be called that anymore because things are just bad right now. And I, this isn't who I am anymore. Call me Mara, which means desperate and bitter and hopeless. And so they get back to town. And I mean, you can just imagine the, 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 the dark place they're not at the time. You know, one thing you have to remember is that not only are they widows, but um, being in the situation that they're in, you know, because Naomi didn't just lose her husband, but also her sons, because of the value that this particular culture placed on women, which was basically nothing, um, they weren't able to provide for themselves. And so it was just, it was, it was a terrible situation all around. And so they get settled and uh, Ruth goes to uh, try to help her and, and her mother-in-law just be provided for. So they go to what the scripture says, glean in the field. So basically this is what happened. You have a field owner. Okay. And so they have crop. And like I said, some, some kind of miracle is going on here. And despite the famine all around the area, there's a, there's a, there's some areas in Judah where there's crop. And so they have this owner. And, and so the owner has servants who are um, pulling the crop from the field. But thing is, there's this thing in, 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 in God's law. He says, hey, make sure that you allow poor people to come in and grab whatever's left over. Like, don't just take it all so they can't have any. And so that's what Ruth was doing. Her and, and some others were coming behind uh, the servants after they, they picked up the, the grain and other things, and they picked up what was left over. All right, so she was doing this every day. And so she ends up at the field of Boaz. She works really hard. And this is what we see in, in, um, in chapter 2, verse 8. Boaz went over to Ruth and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in the field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. 
Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. And she responds, what have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I'm only a foreigner. Let's go to the next one. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. So the owner comes to the field, and I think one clarification here, it says, it says daughter, it's like a, a phrase to indicate a, a disparity in age. Okay, that, that's all it means. And so he's just like, I, he's doing more than what's required of him, right? He's doing more than what the law requires of him in this instant, but he's like, I know what you've done. I know what you've sacrificed to come here and, and, and be here with your mother-in-law, and that's why I'm doing this. And so, you know, usually when the poor come and gather what's left over, they kind of get, like, just enough, if that. It says later on in the script that Ruth actually was able to get more than enough than what she needed and for what Naomi needed um, every day. And so they were just extremely provided for. And so she's worked at the field constantly. All right, so we're almost through the story. And, and, and chapter three is when things begin to uh, shift. And so uh, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, I need to seek some security for you so that, it may, so that it may be well with you. So at this point, Naomi is like, all right, it's generally the mother's um, responsibility to find um, a, a spouse for their child. And so Naomi's like, I need to help you find some security and, and to be, uh, be part of a family, so I'm, I'm going to help you with this. And so technically it wasn't Naomi's responsibility, but she took on that responsibility because of her love and care for Ruth. And so as most mothers do, she set her up. And uh, she's like, right, this is what you're going to do. You're going you're to go to where Boaz is, and, uh, and this, this is what's going to happen. All right, so you're going to watch him from a distance. All right, as you're watching him, wait until he goes to bed, and then you're going to go over there, and you're just going to, like, just happen to be there. And now, there's, like, all of these cultural things that are happening that it's, it will take, like, another hour to explain, but she's basically setting up this, this arrangement with Ruth and Boaz. And then what we see in verse, in verse 9, he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Basically, what's happened there is that that's a marriage proposal. Okay, so Ruth is, is, is proposing to Boaz in this moment. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, uh, uh, young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are are a worthy woman. And so they get married after a few more things that need to happen. And then Ruth has a son. And in the last chapter, chapter four, this is what we see. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons 
has given him birth. And so Naomi's friends are around her just with this ecstatic joy of just like, God has renewed your life. You're in this desperate and bitter place and God came and brought you back to life. So that's basically the end of the story. So I want to I want to unpack this story a little bit and, and see where, where, where it lands us for today. Now, there, there, I want to look at the theme of this story. There, there are actually kind of two themes, one like theme and one like literary theme. First, there's a lot of irony in this story. First of all, the hero of the story is a woman and not a man. That's like the first irony that, that you're going to find in this story, especially from when it was written. Right. Like so this was thousands of years ago. And so this is a, another kingdom story where, where, where the last are first, where redemption comes from the outside. So you remember, as we talk about the kingdom, when we talk about Jesus bringing the kingdom, things happen in the way that they're not supposed to happen, right? Things happen in the ways that we don't expect. That's kind of how the kingdom works and kind of something that Jesus keeps reminding us. But we find out that this has actually been going on for a long time in this space. Redemption comes from the outside. And so the hero in this story is not Boaz. The name of this, of this book of the Bible is called Ruth. Ruth is the hero of the story. Often people look at the story and they, you know, they look at the story of romance. This is not a story of romance. Some have called it like an ancient version of Cinderella. That is not what this story is. This is a story of kindness. That's what we see all throughout this story. It's a story of kindness. Remember when, so, so we just read that like Boaz makes sure that she had everything she needed when she, when she gleaned from the field, right? And made sure that she wasn't going to get harmed by people at her field or, or at other fields. Yeah, that was Boaz being kind, but that was in response. He said, I have seen the way you have treated your mother-in-law. I have seen how kind you have been to her. And I see you. We see Naomi's kindness to Ruth to care for her, to take on that responsibility. A woman with no value in a culture, the heroine for Israel in this story of redemption. And so one of the things that we see in this story is this God has particular uh, attributes, a particular character, a particular way that we can describe him and that Israel would describe him. One of those ways is, is, is a God of kindness. We see it over and over in the Old Testament. He is a kind God. But it's not just his nature. It's not just that he is kind, but his desire is for us to also display that same kindness. You know, we see it in the Beatitudes. Kindness, gentleness, tenderhearted mercy. Right. We see it when when, when we talk about the fruits of the spirit in Galatians, that the fruit of the spirits are peace, joy, love. Hope. Kindness. Gentleness. Right. We, 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 that's that's what we see in these fruits of the spirit. And so it's something that comes out of an encounter with Christ, not simply a trait for a few people. Right. So like we there are some people who are just kind of like naturally nice, you know, like. Andrew Fontenot, 
that's probably like just the most naturally nice dude you will ever meet, right? <laughs> He's just super nice. He's the one who was playing drums earlier. <laughs> but, but, but the kind of kindness that we're talking about is not just a, a character trait. It's not a personality trait. It's something that comes from a very encount, uh, encounter with God. It's something that comes as we are transformed by Jesus to be genuinely kind. This story we see in Ruth tells of people and their relationship with God and shows that through their kindness for one another. That's what this story is about. It's about two women and their relationship with God. And what do we see in that relationship with God? A kindness towards each other and towards the community around them. So, hear me out here, okay? Don't get mad. But, you know, I talk to people all the time, and uh, especially when I'm traveling, and they're like, oh, people in the South are so kind. I'm like, no. <laughs> we here in the South are polite. <laughs> Y'all know I'm telling the truth, right? <laughs> and so I'm like, don't be mad. <laughs> like, don't be mad. Like, oh, we're so like, like no, we're actually just... We love being polite, but like kindness, it's a little bit different, right? I mean, it's the same thing like in, in other parts. Like what I love about when I travel in the Midwest, like people are just like genuinely nice in the Midwest. It's still not the same as kindness. Y'all mad at me yet? No? Okay. If you are, it's okay. It gets better at the end. Don't worry. <laughs> and so I want us to actually be able to go beyond that. So I want to define kindness as the way we see it in Scripture, okay? So as, as we unpack the Hebrew and the Greek of this word, um, that the translators use one word, kindness, but that's because they had to pick one word. I, I want to unpack really what this, what this Hebrew word means. So it means kindness, but it also means to show or be shown compassion. It's loyalty, it's faithfulness, it's godly action, it's goodness, it's benevolence. To show favor to someone, even if they don't deserve it. Do we see the difference between godly kindness and these other things? This is where God is calling us to. And so I want to be, move beyond the niceties. I want to move beyond the politeness and actually create a culture of, of, of kindness. To actually be able to say, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to just follow my cultural norm. And so that's the thing. It is a cultural norm, right? That probably stemmed from scripture. Like, well, I know I shouldn't, you know, be ugly, right? As we say. And so I'm just going to like be polite, but I actually think God has more for us and has more for our community, has more for our world that we can actually go beyond that and actually demonstrate true kindness. Because guess what? When we do, it's restorative. Like it takes something that where, where someone is just in a desperate, bitter place and brings them restoration. I remember when I was, I was really sick several years ago and uh, as I was going through this whole period of, of uh, surgeries and, 
and several doctors of, and, and just all these, all these things were going on, dealing with, a, dealing with a lot of pain and, and a lot of uncertainty, not sure what was going to happen. And I had to quit my job because it was too stressful. But then I tried to get on Cobra, but there was a mistake. And so I lost my insurance. And so I went to the, the, the doctor and I was like, hey, um, this is going to have to be my last appointment because I, I lost my insurance and you expensive. So <laughs> uh, this is not, so we've got to figure something else out. He's like, no. He's like, what do you mean? No. <laughs> He's like, don't worry about it. I'm not going to put you in the books. I'm going to see you anyway. This is too important. Like, that was, like, that, that meant something to me. Like, that brought me back from, like, the depths of just a really dark place, not knowing how I was going to figure this out. Later that day, I went to go see my neurosurgeon. And I was like, hey, it's my last appointment because <laughs> I lost my insurance and you really expensive. <laughs> he said no. This is too important. I just won't put you on the books. We'll see you anyway. Two doctors, different hospitals, that demonstrated kindness in the middle of just hell. Like that's the power of it. That is the power of the kind of kindness that God talks about. And so I want us to begin to like identify, like, you know, this fuller definition of it. You know, where do we lack faithfulness and loyalty and gentleness and allow Jesus to, begin, to speak into that? And I have that just as much as anybody else, right? To be able to recognize where I'm just being nice and where I'm actually demonstrating kindness. You know, it can sometimes be costly. Ruth left her entire family, her home, everything she knew because of her loyalty to her mother-in-law. What she actually, so like, if, if you read the story, it, it seems like Orpah was just like, she was like, wasn't cool and just left. Like, no, that was actually the expected thing to do. That was normal. That's, that's what you would expect in the situation. No one would have blamed her for that. But Ruth instead says, you know what? No, I'm sticking with you and I'm going to sacrifice what I know. What is familiar to me, my family, my religion. She says, your God will be my God. She's changing religions. That's a big deal. Because of my loyalty to you. Sometimes kindness comes with the cost. But in that cost, Ruth also had redemption. She got a new family. She got provision when there wasn't much provision to go around at that time. She got new life. There's a large emphasis in this story on the outsider. That's the other ironic thing about this story. It's not just that the hero is a woman, but the hero is a Gentile. 
Wait, do you mean to tell me God saved Israel and this time with a non-Israelite? <laughs> it wasn't just, Jesus wasn't like the first time he talked about the outsiders. That wasn't the first time. This has been the story for ages. You know, and, and, and it's not just like any outsider. The fact that she was from Moab like, makes it, is a big deal because like, there's a particular history there. And so, like, the author keeps, like, reminding us <laughs> that she's from Moab because, like, they were, like, especially pagan. They were, like, especially not Jewish, <laughs> right? And so, I mean, however you think about that today, like, someone who's, like, really not Christian. I know you have those thoughts, like, oh, you really not a Christian, are you, <laughs> right? So, like, that's, that's the case here. Like, really, really pagan. And so I love what this, um, this vineyard uh, pastor and scholar uh, out of Canada, her name is Matt Downey, uh, she did a, a paper on this, and, and I love what she says. She says, Ruth, the main character, is continually referred to as a Moabite, a reminder that she's an outsider and a pagan. Can we go to that? This highlights an unsettling paradox. An outsider is the hero of a story told to people who consider themselves insiders the chosen people of Yahweh. So I'm going to read it again. Ruth, the main character, is continually referred to as a Moabite, a reminder that she's an outsider and a pagan. This highlights an unsettling paradox. An outsider is the hero of a story told to people who consider themselves insiders, the chosen people of Yahweh. And so there's, there's, there's like this duality happening. She's an outsider and yet shows kindness. And as an outsider, Boaz shows kindness to her. Remember when she was like, why, why are you being so kind to me? I'm a foreigner. I don't even belong here. Why are you being so kind to me? In other words, this doesn't make any sense. This isn't how people act. But this is the call of the church to do things that don't make sense, to counter the culture around us that just cares for the insiders, but demonstrates compassion, especially to the outsiders, even when it's not in our best interests. Now, you know, there are times, especially kind of with, with family or like kind of that whole thing, right? Or you're just like, they don't need no kindness. They messed up. <laughs> right? Or if, if I do this, it's going to put me in a bad spot with, 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 with them. And so I, I would challenge to say, what does it look like to do that? It, even, even in our families where it becomes a little more complicated, right? Where it becomes a little more tit for tat, right? Where it's just like, well, where there's all this history there that we don't want to acknowledge, we don't want to deal with. What does kindness look like there? Yeah, it's costly, but what kind of redemption is possible there? You know, Proverbs 15.1 says, a kind response turns away wrath. And so like, I have this picture as I think about that proverb, right? Like a kind answer turns away wrath. Like in the middle of just things being heated, kindness can just stop it in its tracks. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Like the moment you get together with that particular person or in that group, you know it's just going to get hot, right? 
And I just, I keep coming back to this idea, but kindness can actually just completely dissipate that whole thing, can change that whole thing. Now, one caveat here, we have to understand the difference between kindness and being overly passive, right? Now, I know that's like a, like a journey that I've been, I've been on, where it's just like, I allow someone to like do something, and I'm just like, oh, I'll forgive them, because that's like the right thing to do, when reality is, I'm just letting them push. And like, so there's a difference between allowing yourself to be kind of abused and like pushed, and then kindness. And so, we have to be able to demonstrate that without allowing ourselves to be taken out. So Ruth was restored. So the interesting thing is, and, and all this kindness that Ruth displayed, God responded as well. You see, Ruth was barren. She, wouldn't, she wasn't able to have kids, and 10 years later, here she is with a child. That's the restorative power. So it's not just like us demonstrating towards others. That's the restorative power that's available for us. We get to experience that renewal as we show it out, right? Now, look, God's love and his compassion is not dependent on anything we do. Let me make that super, super clear. Because that's the part we get twisted. God's love and his favor and his kindness are not dependent on anything we do do. It just is. However, as we step out into that, we experience more of it. And so the renewal of God, the renewal of the kingdom is overflowing and available to us. God doesn't withhold it. The thing is, when we demonstrate it ourselves, we actually just experience it more because he doesn't withhold anything good from us. We just have to sometimes step out so that we can experience it for ourselves. So Ruth was restored, Naomi was restored. You know, she went from Naomi to Mara and now back to Naomi. <coughs> she said, your daughter-in-law Ruth did more than what seven sons could have done. Like, that's a magnificent statement. You have more now than you would have ever had with seven sons. Like, and so it's, it's kind of hard for us to, like, experience what Naomi's experiencing in this moment. But for the, I think that statement says it all. You have new life. You have been renewed. And what we find later is that uh, this son is in the ancestry of Jesus. That like, this is why, one of the reasons why Ruth is the heroine of the story is because her kindness enacted everything that happened. And through the birth of her son, many, many years later, comes Jesus. And if you're like, new to faith or you're kind of checking out Christianity or you're like, you're not sure about it. And you're like, like this whole Jesus thing, this is the gospel message that Jesus came to bring life and life to the full, that redemption 
and restoration is available for everyone. And it goes to the outsiders first. And so if that's you and you want to experience more of that, I want to invite you up to, to, to take communion with us. And I also want to invite you up to receive prayer. And we love to, we love to pray with you in that. Because this, isn't, this renewal isn't just for the people who, for the insiders. It's not just for the people who consider themselves Christians. It's, it's for everyone. And it's for you too. Let's look at some practical tips. I did pretty good on time. All right, number one. Look at places in your life, whether it's at work, among friends, or even at church, where the cultural norm of being polite is present, but kindness is absent. Walk with others in moving beyond politeness politeness into genuine kindness. This thing, I have a strong belief that we can impact culture in a number of ways and that we don't have to settle for what's always been. I have this ridiculous idea that the church can actually be like Jesus and change culture. So it's the thing. And I, and I, I struggle with this too. It's just like, there's all this stuff around us and we're like, what can ever change, <laughs> right? This is, you know what I hear all the time? This is just the way it is. I don't buy that anymore. I can't. Not with the God I know and not with the Jesus I know. He says we can actually impact culture, not just be impacted by it. That we can change the narrative of, as Derek just said, bless your hearts to, I want you to experience the blessings of Jesus in your life in a real way. And we can be a part of that. And we can see all those around us experience the same restoration that we see in the story, that we've seen in the past in our lives, and that God, what God has for us in the future. Number two, sometimes kindness can come at a cost. Think about family or other relationships where it may be costly to demonstrate kindness. Think about someone who may not even deserve it. This is the place you can demonstrate the kingdom. Number three, who are the outsiders around you? Now, I, I, I say this with gentleness, okay? If you say there aren't there, you have to look harder because they are there. That's the thing about outsiders. They're invisible. So who are the outsiders around you? Make it a point to identify someone and show them kindness as we have defined it. When I gave you that big definition, show them kindness that way and just watch what happens. Just like watch what God does in that person's life and in your life as you do it, I guarantee if you just try it and see what happens. And listen, and I, I love the whole act of kindness and like, you know, that, that, that whole campaign that's been going on. That's, that's all great. I love that. We, we know we've done some of that. We're, we'll continue to do that. I want us to go a little bit further than that right now. And actually identify someone and say, you know what? I'm going to demonstrate godly kindness to them. And just see what happens. 
This is the place where you can demonstrate the gospel. Remember how restorative it can be for others, but also remember that as we do this, we will experience that same renewal in our lives. Cool? All right. We're going to enter into communion, so let's stand. And um, so just first, a couple, a couple of details. We have a station under each projector, one here, one there, and one in the back. And for those with an, with an allergy, they're all gluten-free. But as, as we enter into communion, I want us to remember that the communion table was a place to not just remember Christ, which it is that, right? And a sacrifice. But as we have learned, it's also a place to experience the very presence of God. To experience the very real Jesus showing his kindness towards us. And so I would, I would ask you to come to the table with whatever needs you have, with whatever feelings are plaguing you, with whatever's going on, and to come to the table expecting to meet with Jesus because he, he, wants, he wants to hang out with you. And he wants you to experience that renewal in your heart. And so I want you to come to the table and, and be renewed. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. So we're going to uh, partake in communion. You'll just come up in lines uh, over the next couple of songs and we're gonna continue to worship. We're gonna take communion and we're just gonna be with God for, for a couple more minutes.